technology's best role shouldn't be to replace the awkwardness of interacting and engaging with another human being, but to facilitate it. So technology should help us capture the interaction, but turn it into something, a product that I could look at afterwards, reflect on, meditate on, and then use to communicate better in a more natural and more engaged way the next time. Welcome everyone. Our guest today is Dr. Thor Solon. He teaches at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. He has a doctorate in linguistics with specialties in second language acquisition and linguistic anthropology. He loves to travel all over the world as a consultant and teacher, supporting organizations of overseas ministry workers. So you can see why I wanted to have him on the show today as my guest. Welcome, Thor. Hi, it's my pleasure to be here to be taking part in this. Thor, a lot of people out there sideline technology. I'm sure you've met a few. They argue that face-to-face encounters in an immersion setting are hands down the best option for them for language learning. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I think... They're partly right, and I meet a lot of ministry workers who feel that way, uh, maybe most. Uh, they're like, yeah, I shouldn't use technology to learn the language because I want to really be one-on-one with people to do ministry. Um, but ideally, you would want some kind of combination of being face-to-face with human but to actually bring technology tools along in that process to make it better. You know, technology doesn't replace immersion, and if it does, that's a problem, but Immersion with technology is actually better than just immersion only, immersion without any technology help. So if we go with that balanced diet metaphor, how can we choose the most nutritious options? I mean, there are a plethora of menu choices out there for online learning. Yes, there are. And when we consider this vast and varied menu for online learning tools, you know, if you type in language into the app store, you get hundreds and hundreds of hits. Uh, The most nutritious options, the best things to download meet certain criteria. And I think the main one you need to ask yourself, is this a tool which helps facilitate interpersonal interaction with a more expert speaker on a topic or doing an activity that we're both interested in or invested in? So interpersonal interaction with a more expert speaker with a topic or activity that we both care about. And there are tools that do that. Could you give us some good examples of how an online tool can do that? Yeah, so social media, for example, like Instagram or even Facebook can be a platform for interpersonal interaction. You can have like a chat-based conversation, a private chat within Facebook or a direct message on Instagram. You know, that can be just typing, but you can also use audio and even video. And you can find a group like a Facebook group that's related to a topic you're interested in. You could swap contact information and have a WhatsApp conversation, which is a little bit more natural to use than Facebook. And if the group decides to meet in person um, or that person decides to meet in person, you could host some type of event. Um, Then you could actually get face-to-face interaction that you might not have had otherwise. So technology is kind of facilitating or creating the opportunities for that face-to-face interaction with someone you're connected with over a common interest. I have a good example of that. Somebody I'm coaching in Brazil wanted to find people in the culture that were her tribe, so to speak. So she got on Facebook and found a local composting group she could interact with. 
if you randomly just go around town, what are the chances of finding somebody who composts that you could connect with? Yeah, exactly. Like horse lovers or soccer fans. So like social media can give you those kinds of opportunities to connect with like-minded people. Uh, like on Instagram, you can find someone to follow that you really like. They write captions in the language you're learning or maybe then speak little vlogs in the language they're learning. You love the photos, you love the stuff they're saying or doing, something that interests you people you think are funny, maybe even people you find attractive or good looking. Um, yeah, there's all these people out there. So follow those people. Go on. Following these accounts, you get this kind of curated thing. And Instagram has switched to a much more video platform, more like TikTok, which is kind of nice for language learners. It makes it even better with the faces and with the context that's richly there. Last month, I did see that TikTok um, just up their video time limit to 10 minutes. Not that you'll see me posting on TikTok or anything. Yeah. So if there's something you're interested in that you care about, like it could be composting, like you said, or flowers or, or like you mentioned, horses or soccer, this can be like a tailwind, which pushes you ahead, um, especially when you're starting to get frustrated with the language. Like if you care enough about the content, you're going to keep going. So if you want to know the recipe for those Croatian cookies that you tasted or you want to know how Chinese people are talking about or approaching organic gardening, you know, following this kind of content will push you further ahead in the language than if you're reading about something you don't really care about, which unfortunately happens a lot in language classes. Back to the learners in Brazil, I made the mistake of pushing this Portuguese YouTuber I found that does these short cooking videos. I thought they were pretty cute. I really like them. They're short but I don't think they were really all that interested in cooking. And that's probably why they lost motivation to watch them. So all you coaches out there, a word to the wise, let learners pick stuff they're actually interested in, like composting. Okay, I noted that in your third criterion, Thor, you didn't use the word native speaker, but more expert speaker. Can you comment on that? It sort of sounded like heresy. Yeah, I don't want to use the word native speaker uh, because I think that the best people to learn from are actually more expert non-native speakers. They can be easier to understand, they have more empathy. They actually know how the language works in a way that most native speakers don't. So native speakers don't really, they've never had to think about how the language works. So it's harder for them to give helpful feedback, I've found. Um, it's hard for them to answer your questions about the language without feeling stupid, but uh, a more expert non-native speaker often can. So I'm not obsessed with people finding native speakers or fixating on this idea of native speaker when you're doing stuff online. There's some cultural things that might be easier to learn from a native speaker or an insider, someone who grew up within a particular community. But someone who's a really accomplished outsider who's worked their way in from the outside often has I think more interesting, really important cultural insights. Thor, let's go now to the commonly used model for the language learning cycle. I'm interested in how online learning figures into that cycle. How can it move the output of what you communicate to input and then to actual intake? So when you enter a community of language users, like within social media or any other kind of digital community, 
um, the fact that I'm creating output itself forces me to notice my holes is what they say. So two crucial parts of like this language learning cycle, which hopefully is getting feedback, getting responses to what I've done, like figuring out what's right or wrong and noticing and processing that. So I need that feedback and I need the ability to notice and process the feedback I get in order to turn that input into intake, the, the, the language that I'm getting or the language information I'm getting that I'm actually assimilating and making part of my own model of the language, my own best working model of language. So online learning definitely helps you with that. And in fact, I think it even does it better. It offers advantage over in-person interactions, like I stated at the beginning. So go on, how so? Yeah, so I, like, technology gives us the opportunity to really increase the feedback and noticing um, because I can actually see what I've said or I can go back and click on what I said and I can compare what I said to how the more expert speaker used the same words or the same grammar, the same idea in their response. I can record the text message instead of typing it out. I can record the native speaker speaking to make my flashcards have more authentic audio layer on them. Uh, there's even apps for recording whole phone conversations or Zoom recordings uh, that I could go back and listen to. In a face-to-face -face interaction, I know we talked about this, that it's often hard to solicit feedback. They might not want to hurt your feelings, even though they're friends. It especially could be true in honor shame cultures. And I know that stopping to get feedback can sometimes sidetrack a conversation. Yeah, and even if you do get correction, like if you make a mistake and the person you're talking to does correct you, in the heat of that moment, you have to often miss that correction. Like you don't even really notice it. Uh, it just kind of goes by you because you're focused on what you want to say next. You're focused on the content of the message. Um, but if you've got technology, those feedback and the correction can be built in so that you're communicating content. But with language exchange apps like HelloTalk or iTalky or eSpeak, uh, they will do that for you. Do us the favor, Thor, of explaining how a language exchange works. In a language exchange, you're connected with native or more expert speakers locally, or it could be really anywhere in the world and you take turns talking like half the time in each other's language. So I really like the app HelloTalk. It's an app um, on your phone and you do everything on your smartphone. So I, I like using apps um, since you always have your phone with you, but you can talk, you can chat, you can send voice messages to your exchange partner all within the same app. And it feels really natural, just kind of like the normal text message conversations. So the economics of these exchange apps is that we don't have to pay, uh, we don't have to pay each other because we're being reciprocal. So some apps actually you do have to pay because I'm not spending time teaching you English while I'm learning Portuguese. Um, I'm just paying you so that we're all working in that language. Uh, these are people who do it professionally. They have their own curriculum in mind. Um, but sometimes it's more profitable actually to connect with someone who's more flexible. They don't have their pre-planned curriculum, but are more open to kind of adjusting to what you want. And one more comment about the kind of feedback that you can get in a language app. Um, obviously, a, a language app like Duolingo or Mango or Babbel, they're sort of automated feedback. They're prompting you to make a word and they're kind of built to go, eh, you got it wrong or ding, 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 you got it right. Um, correcting your spelling or correcting a grammatical mistake, but it could be something you don't even really use in real life. Um, and well, despite all these downsides, which I'll go into later, 
those apps do play a role with that automated feedback in making you more accurate with the really hard to acquire parts of language. You know, hard to acquire things are the things that we don't naturally pay a lot of attention to, like accent marks or silent letters and spelling or kind of endings that don't seem that important as an English speaker. This is stuff that a human would probably never stop the conversation and give you feedback on, but it still is important to get feedback in some ways, and those tech apps can really do that for you. Let's go back to your balanced diet idea, sort of like Michelle Obama's balanced food plate, right? You categorize online learning into four food groups, if you will, and then like a pie chart, you slice up the plate into recommended proportions of each one. Can you give us those details? How I talk about that balanced plate, uh, I use Mark Pegram from the University of Western Australia, his idea of dividing online learning into four categories about what learning platforms can do. And those categories are communication, uh, content, content delivery, tutorial, and creation. Those are the four types of apps that are out there. Walk us through each of them, please. Okay, so communication apps, kind of like what we were just talking about, are those that facilitate interpersonal interactions. I mentioned HelloTalk, but just regular Messenger on your phone. Uh, Tandem is another one, WhatsApp. So that's what communication is. The content category is one where I'm not really writing or speaking, but I'm primarily just getting authentic input. I'm reading it, I'm listening to it. Um, and these are tools that deliver you things you're interested in, which are also level appropriate. So FluentU uses real world videos. Um, LingoPie does like TV shows um, that are kind of at your, your level. Um, BBC News comes in a wide variety of languages that you could learn. Um, Spanish, I think, has a great example. I really love the Lupa app. It's L-U-P-A. And Lupa combines like a lot of these features which help you notice and practice what's going on in language with these really fascinating stories from Radio Ambulante, which is the Spanish-speaking side of NPR. So it's especially good for intermediate listeners, intermediate learners, helping them to notice what's going on in the language. I've used TED or TEDx talks in Spanish, and I know some of them are in Portuguese. I really like them because you can follow along or not with the transcript highlighted like in karaoke. People, you might also want to check out Language Reactor. It's a Chrome extension that runs on your laptop and works with Netflix and YouTube videos to add some language learning features. It's pretty fun. Just make sure that you're getting, like Thor said, that you're getting authentic native language content and not some dub Disney show or something. Okay, we're ready for the tutorial category. Yeah, tutorial is sort of like the big names in the language learning app field. Things like Duolingo, or Mango, Babbel, Rosetta Stone, Pimsleur, to name a few. Also, digital flashcard systems like Anki or Quizlet, Memrise um, would be part of this. And the good ones that you can find online, the good flashcard apps, incorporate spaced repetition into the learning. Let me interrupt here just for a second to give a plug for a new flashcard system called Word Climber. Um, check it out on episode 20, not your average flashcard, but go on. That's great. So uh, finally, there's the creation group. And this would be things like Instagram or Pinterest, TikTok, Tumblr, YouTube. 
creative learners out there might enjoy creating tours of their neighborhood or their hometown uh, using Google uh, Tour Builder, which is within Google Earth or the new platform, Google Tour Creator. Okay, we've got the four groups now. So for your recommendation, this is the bottom line. What does a healthy balance plate look like? How would you divide up the plate? I think we should have our listeners guess which of the four groups should get the biggest slice of the plate. Is it communication? Is it content? Is it tutorial? Or is it creation? The answer, Thor, is... Uh, communication. So I would say that communication should take up half of your language learning plate. The closest thing there is to a magic bullet. You get that interpersonal back and forth interaction with a more expert speaker on a topic that you're both invested or interested in. So check, check, check. And uh, just a little bit of a caveat or warning about the language exchange apps that I talked about, like Tandem or HelloTalk. Uh, often those die out or become unhelpful because it's tough to come up with conversation topics or questions to ask about the other person's life or the other person's community, the other person's culture that you actually both care about, you know, topics that they would love to share about or answer and that you actually want to know the answer to. Um, and this is where your own creativity, your own needs or goals will have to come in you know, to really think ahead of time, like what, what could we talk about in this tandem app? And most of those don't really have that built in, but this is a chance for you to personalize what you're learning, personalize what you care about in a way that a language school curriculum probably will never have the flexibility to do. So that's half of the plate, but we still have the other half to divide up. So content and creation. Uh, creation would be writing and speaking for the world. Content would be listening and reading what other people have created. Uh, these would be sort of equal portions. And I'd say together, they would be like three quarters of the remaining half. So most of what's left uh, would be that. That's another big chunk then. So those super popular tutorial apps like Duolingo get relegated to just a tiny little sliver that amounts to like one eighth of the whole plate, right? Yeah, if one eighth. So to this nutrition metaphor, we could say that these gamified apps like Duolingo with lots of little clicks and dings, it's kind of like food with a pretty high sugar content, like a Twinkie, you know, they're pretty addictive and they can take up easily way too much time on your plate, but they're maybe not all that nutritious or helpful. Uh, Duolingo was really designed by computer scientists to maximize clicks or engagement, you know, hacking human game psychology. And they don't actually intend to help you communicate what you need to with another human. It relies a lot on that gamification. Like I said, it's more like a game than actually a language learning tool. These tutorial apps are better than nothing, uh, but I'd say these are more like crumbs or things to fit in the cracks between more nutritious things. You know, another metaphor, maybe it's like a vitamin supplement. Uh, you can definitely live without it in the way that you can live without vitamin supplements. If you just eat a good diet in the first place, you might not need these apps, which kind of fill in the gaps. I think one thing that makes these tutorial apps so attractive in language learning is that they offer an easy go-to measurable task you can check off. You can say, oh, I did 30 minutes or an hour or got to this level. But I don't think you're saying don't ever, ever use them. Right. You know, I think like 
interacting with people is hard and it's much harder than just downloading Duolingo and using this online tool that's designed to take people out of the equation and the messiness of scheduling and misunderstanding. Uh, they're designed to have an easy click-through experience. But remember, the whole point of technology for language learning should be to connect us to people. You know, language was designed by God to connect us to other human beings. So the more that we're taking real people out of the equation or far from us, uh, the further away I'd say we are from not only what God wants us to learn, but how we as humans are actually designed to learn language. Um, we learn better through interaction with another human. So I just reiterate that, you know, technology best role shouldn't be to replace the awkwardness of interacting and engaging with another human being, but to facilitate it. And so those apps like Duolingo, if you really want to do them, you know, it's just kind of a little bit of practice on the side to not forget the easiest to forget little things that might be hard to notice in real conversation. So technology should help us capture the interaction to turn it into something, a product that I could look at afterwards, reflect on, meditate on, and then use to communicate better in a more natural and a more engaged way the next time. I think that's a really great note to close on. But you told me that you have a super duper language blooper to tell, and I haven't heard it yet. So go for it. I went with my church in college to Mexico for a week, as many people do. We were in a tiny village way up in the Sierra Madre Mountains. And to give my church credit, we had to demonstrate sort of an intermediate Spanish proficiency in order to go on this trip because we we're supposed to talk but I had never taken Spanish was just trying to quickly learn on my own from ill-designed textbooks and we were at this little hut you know it's kind of just a roof with no walls and the wind was blowing and I was meant to play guitar and lead worship and the papers were blowing everywhere and I wanted to say in Spanish there's a lot of wind here uh, which would be hay mucho viento aquí but instead I say hay mucho vientre aquí, which means there's a lot of uterus here or a lot of womb here. And the crowd that was gathered for the service was in fact entirely women. And I just got a lot of blank stares, uh, stone faces. And it wasn't until an hour later as I was like driving down the mountain that I realized what I had said and that I had used that wrong word. So an easy case of lexical switching where two words sounded too similar to each other, but yeah, a pretty funny mistake. So that's the difference between viento and vientre. Yes. You can see, it's an honest mistake. You can see how that could happen. Thor, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. It was great. I'm Mary Lynn Kindberg, and thanks for listening. Besides on our webpage, languageonpurpose.org, you can easily find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. It would be great if you leave us a great review. If you haven't yet, subscribe and you won't miss an episode. See you next time.